And uh, let's see, the first one is the four essentials. Four essentials to the road less traveled in marriage. And, and I believe each one of these is fairly controversial. Definitely each one of these is going against the current of the rest of the world. We're fighting, kind of trying to go upstream when the rest of the world is going another way here. The first one is this. Marriage should be honored by all. You know, let's, uh, let's uh, maybe just explain a little bit of what that means. Marriage should be honored by all. It's easy to look at that and kind of at first glance go, sure, marriage is a good thing. I honored it. Let's move on, you know. Um, Marriage is a good thing. I want to get married someday. I'll honor it with the possibility that I might consider that someday. Great. Noble. Um, we're going to look at a few more things that you can draw out of this, this passage here to uh, understand how we can honor marriage. One is this. Um, let's see. Honor marriage. Because I'm going to, let me see. I'm going to do this in a different order. I'm going to put all three of these up here at once. Uh, we have the next one too. There we go. Excellent. So, um, we're going to kind of skip the, the points around. Let's start with the middle one. Honor marriage as a single person. How can you honor marriage as a single person? You're not married, um, but is there a way that you can honor marriage? Well, really what this passage is talking about is saying that marriage should be honored by all. The marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. There's a few things we need to catch there that... Really, in marriage, God has designed something to occur between a man and a woman. An intimacy, a oneness, emotionally, physically, sexually, that should occur nowhere else on the planet, but in a marriage relationship between a man and a woman. And so this lists several ways that that marriage is dishonored. And really, one of them, like as a single person, um, this word here, um, God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral if you read a, an older version of the Bible, a King James or something, the word they use here for the sexually immoral is, is called fornication. All the fornicators. And, and really what that just means is that someone who participates in things that are reserved and held sacred for marriage, someone who participates in those before they're married. That's called sexual immorality. That's called fornication. And as a single person, one of the ways you can honor marriage is that you should not partake in things that are reserved for marriage. The benefits, the blessings of marriage that are reserved for when you get there. The emotional oneness and intimacy, the physical oneness and intimacy. God says that is to be between a man and a woman. And if you do that before you get married, it's sin, it's sexual immorality, it's fornication. And that dishonors marriage. That dishonors God. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ as a single person, you need to honor marriage. And if you want some of those things, they're natural desires, things that uh, emotional closeness, the satisfaction that you can find there, the sexual intimacy that God has created and designed to occur in marriage. If that's something you want, I'll give you a suggestion. Get married. Get married. You know, sometimes people are like, well, I think this could be the one. Sometimes I ask people, how sure are you on a percentage scale that this is the one you're going to marry? Maybe they're dating them or thinking about it. I say, how sure are you? Occasionally, I bump into people that are almost like 50% sure this is the one. 50% sure. You know what that means? There's a 50% chance they are investing intimacy, maybe even expressing itself sexually with someone else's spouse. Men and women, we got to honor marriage. You want to get married? Step up to the commitment. Put a ring on her finger. Get a job so you might be able to support her. You want to honor marriage? 
Do it. We are pro-marriage church. The firehouse is pro-marriage. Do you want to get married? Sometimes I've gotten a bad rap over the years. People all need to be single and da-da-da. And he got married, but he tells you to be single. And I would love for you to get married. If that's God's plan for your life, there is an, marriage is awesome. I'll vouch for that. I was single. That was great. There's a taste of life you can get as a single person that I feel like I tasted of. But marriage is awesome. I'll tell you. I'll vouch for that. Can I get any amens out there? Married couples. All right. Do you want to have some of the benefits of marriage? Get married. Everybody else does. Well, I've got to sample. I've got to check this out. I've got to see if this is the one. Are we compatible? You know, you know what? Romance and sexuality, uh, you know, as many weddings and things we do, it takes care of itself. You don't got to figure it out before the fact. You can have an awesome marriage relationship without having to experiment and get practice and all that because that's what the rest of the world does. You know what? Their relationships are falling apart one out of two. And there's brokenness of heart, and there's scars and luggage and everything from that. And men and women, we've got a road that's less traveled. God wants us to go down. Hope you catch that as a single person. As a married person, when you get into a marriage, you know, you make your marriage vows. You've been to your wedding. How can you honor marriage? You know how? By keeping everything that's designed to occur in marriage within your marriage. Sometimes what we see can happen is that that intimacy in marriage, maybe the honeymoon phase wears off, maybe the romance is gone, and people start to look outside their marriage relationship. And when they start seeking the benefits of marriage outside of marriage, guess what it's called? Adultery. Well, there's fornication before you're married, and adultery is after you're married. And you look, you have an outlet outside of your marriage, and God will judge that. God will judge fornication. God will judge adultery. I think there's both judgment in this life and when we appear before Him. I've seen judgment of, you know, broken hearts, broken uh, marriages, families that are destroyed. Some get judged, I think, through, you know, sexual sin. There's diseases. There's pregnancies that uh, people need to deal with in a relationship that is not marriage. And there is so much brokenness outside of this. And God will judge if you're uh, trying to have those benefits outside of marriage, before you're married, or after you're married. One last thing here that I mentioned that marriage is to be honored by all. It's to be honored by single people, by married people. It's to be honored by all. Guess who that includes? Guess who all includes? Everybody. Does does all leave out anybody? No. What if they don't believe in God? Is marriage to be honored by all still? It is. You know what happens sometimes? And, um, you know, I've had the question before what if someone's living together? They're doing all the things married people do. They, you know, they live the same place. They sleep in the same bed. They have all the benefits of marriage. But they're just not married. What's the big deal? That's a great question. But uh, the answer to the question is, is a big deal. You know, the reality is, one way is doing it God's way. God designed marriage, and He made it good. He made it very good. And um, when you do, really, when you get married, a lot of what you do is you're making a commitment to another person before that person and before God. Now, when you do the other way, it's kind of like, well, it's kind of the same thing, only there's no desire. A lot of times people just don't want to honor God. And that's the essence of the problem. That's the essence of sin. You know, God says, do it this way and I'll bless it and it'll be wonderful. And people are like, well, I want the benefits, but I just don't want to be, I don't want someone bossing me around what marriage is supposed to look like and when I'm supposed to do it and what my roles are supposed to be. And the essence of that independence is sin. 
and marriage is to be honored by all. You know, I think there's, uh, you know, there's sex before marriage, fornication. There's sex outside of your marriage, which is adultery. You know, the Bible has one other word that, that it uses related to sexual sin, and that's perversion. And perversion, we see, I think it's growing more and more prevalent in our society. Perversion is when, it's not like a timing issue. It's like a man and a woman, they just, uh, you know, partake in things related to marriage too soon and that's sexual immorality or man and woman and things outside of their marriage perversion is when it's so broken it's not even a man and a woman anymore it's a man and a man or a woman and a woman in Romans chapter 1 it calls that perversion and we gotta, we gotta be sharp on this men and women sometimes it's like who cares they're living together it's kinda like a marriage well they're trying to be married it's just they're the same sex you know it's not so bad one is fornication one is uh, adultery and one is perversion and God will judge them all we need to be sharp on this men and women marriage should be honored by all I think we get that point um, let's move on here next one <clears throat> so the next essential to a marriage that survives and this one even specifically I think relates to a marriage that survives is we need to protect you, you need to protect your marriage with a Christ-like commitment. With Christ-like commitment. Here's one place where Jesus spoke about marriage. Before this verse, he quotes from the Genesis. He kind of validates, hey, there was one man and one woman that came together. Um, and it goes on to say, so now they're no longer two, but one flesh. And what God has joined together, let no man separate. God doesn't want these marriages separated. He doesn't want them to... Um, break apart to have the commitment the bonds of commitment break and that the marriage is broken and separated Um, and let me see so one of the keys to a marriage that survives is commitment you know sometimes I ask people to trick question maybe I like to ask them you know when I start investigating divorce again what's the number one cause of divorce and if you know the answer don't blurt it out yes well, I'll throw something at you later. Some, I, I don't have any candy or anything. But uh, what is uh, one of the number one causes of marriage? Uh, divorce, leading cause. <laughs> marriage, you know, there's a lot of reasons for that. It's a good thing. God likes it, blesses it, uh, puts it on our hearts, etc. But what's one of the number one causes for divorce? Financial stress. Financial stress. Okay, there's one. What other ones do we have here? Infidelity. Infidelity. Okay, another one. These are all good. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna make fun of anybody today. Um, no, just I'm just joking. Any other ones? Yeah. Yeah, I said don't jump ahead, Zach. All right. Uh, you know, the way I understand it, again, it's like a trick question maybe, but the number one cause of divorce is one or two people who do not keep their marriage vows. This vow, These vows say, uh, I'm with you till death do I part. I'm with you until I die. And the other person says, well, I'm with you till I die. And what happens when you get divorced before that? Someone does not keep their vow. They break it for whatever reason. Then the list of reasons, finances, uh, infidelity, uh, you know, all sorts of reasons. But basically they break their vow and that is what the essence of a divorce is. Um, And so commitment is then key to keeping your commitment. That's why sometimes when you're in a church family and you see someone's life and character and you go, you know what? That person there who wants to get married, I'll vouch for them. They're a person who keeps their commitments. That's a man of his word right there. And you know what? Um, I'll bet you he's not easily going to break this commitment, if ever, in his life. Sometimes people get in situations, they get swept away in the honeymoon phase, lovey-dovey. Next thing you know, they're married and they find out later, I married someone 
who does not keep their commitments? Why in the world would they keep the hardest commitment that a human can have in this life with another? And that's one of the safeties, I think, about being a part of a church family where you're laboring together and you're working for Christ and you get to see that this person, a person of character. And even if there's someone that God has for you in another church, at least they have people that can say, you know what? I'll vouch for this person right here. They're not going to be the one out of two people who gets divorced. This is probably going to be the one out of 50, maybe. You know, This is going to be someone who has the better results than everybody else. But we need to be men and women who keep our commitment. Whether you've made that commitment, you need to realize that. Whether you're thinking about that someday in your future or hoping for that. Another thing we have to catch about this Christ-like commitment is, I think, even more important here. God hates divorce. And we need to be sharp on this. We need to understand this. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding on this. Um, I'm going to read a verse that uh, basically, you know, where we got this point from is from the Bible, word for word, almost. Uh, And it says this in Malachi chapter 2, talking about marriage and divorce. And it says this. um, I'll just read a few verses. Chapter 2, verse 13. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because He no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with, with pleasure from your hand. You ask why. It is because the Lord is acting as a witness between you and the wife of your youth because you have broken faith with her. Though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant, has not the Lord made them one? In flesh and spirit they are His. And why one? Because He was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself and in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. goes on to finish saying, So guard yourself in spirit and do not break faith. God hates divorce. A couple things we need to catch here. God hates divorce. God does not hate divorce ease. Any of you have parents who've been divorced? You can raise your hand. I do. My parents were married for 34 years. I thought, surely that's, that's a long enough time to be together for the rest of the stretch here. And 34 years, they got a divorce. And God hates divorce. But God does not hate divorce ease. People who've been through that. You know, divorce, I think the essence of divorce is... Is brokenness. You know, marriage is union. Marriage is oneness. Those are words that are described. And divorce is the opposite of that. The opposite of union. The opposite of oneness is brokenness, separation, um, you know, destruction to oneness. And God hates that. And there's a couple, um, you know, I think there's a couple reasons why. One is just, just that, because of the brokenness of that it is. Divorce just represents brokenness. And I don't know about you, but uh, in general, I think most people who've had parents that have gone through divorce, it is hard. Occasionally, someone will say, well, God's working it out better. Yeah, God is a God who works out broken things, and He can work them out for good. God is a God who hates brokenness. He doesn't want it. It breaks His heart. When someone goes through a divorce, if you think about your family, I think about my family where my brothers were still at home when they're going through this divorce process and the fighting was just bitter and angry while my brothers were still there. And it was just so hurtful. And I think it's affected both of my younger brothers. And God hates it because those broken things hurt people. They hurt people for the rest of their lives. And when when people are being hurt, God is being hurt. If you think about the number of divorces that occur throughout the world, I saw one stat that says, uh, I think daily, there are 2,400 divorces every single day. And God fills every one of them. You and I, we fill the one closest to us. God fills every one of those broken situations and the love that should be there and the commitment 
and God fills it. You know, and it breaks my heart. We're living in a broken generation. I was driving down the highway yesterday, I-76, driving back from Brighton to, to town here, and what do I see on a billboard? Call 1-800-DIVORCE. We're living in a world, God hates the brokenness of divorce, and we live in a world where people have billboards that say, call 1-800-DIVORCE. Call 1-800-BROKENNESS, PAIN, LUGGAGE. We live in a broken generation. Men and women, we've got to catch this. We've got to catch the seriousness behind us. The other reason why God hates divorce, besides the brokenness, is because it is not like God. It is not how God is. You know, marriage is a covenant between a man and a woman that's made before God. A covenant is just uh, basically a promise or a vow that somehow includes God in the equation. Marriage, you know, we bring God into it and invite Him to witness these vows that we make to one another and even to Him, that how we're going to treat this person. Um, and, you know, it just reflects on God and His love for us. God has designed marriage that it should be a picture of love, of love that's till death do us part. You see, because God has a covenant with us. And it's kind of like, you know, I liken it to the, the, the story of, of marriage. I love sharing the gospel at, at weddings because there's different facets of a, a wedding story that reflect God's love for us. The first one I always tell people is the pursuit. This guy wants to get married, and he does what it takes, and he pursues, uh, and he tries to win the heart of this, this woman. And eventually that pursuit leads to uh, all sorts of different ways he took a knee. And he cornered this woman, you know, on the edge of a cliff or whatever it was, you know, however it worked out for some of you guys. But finally he pursues her to the point of taking a knee and saying, I love you, I want to be with you for the rest of my life. And he offers a ring and, um, and that's the pursuit. And then we have the response. You know, the girl could, you know, she could just break out into laughter. She could, um, like my wife did, I think. uh, They could say all sorts of things. The woman could say, you know what, I don't believe you'd choose me. I think you got the wrong, you don't love me. You know, I just don't believe it. I don't buy it. Or, yeah, yeah, thanks, I I think you're a great friend, but I'm just not thinking the same thing. That's another one you've got to watch out for. Um, uh, And there's another one where, you know, it's kind of like, well, Let's just wait and see. And I'm not sure. Let's just wait. And none of those lead to a wedding celebration. You know, the response when someone says yes, you know, like my wife said, yes, 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 yes. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> no, just joking. She, she kind of tried to play her cards a little bit like I, I'd be honored, you know, things like that. But she, um, she said yes. And eventually she said yes. So, um, but, um, but there's the pursuit and there's the response and it leads to the wedding celebration. And the wedding celebration is where you say, I do. I do take you for the rest of my life. And then we say these vows that you need to be thinking about in advance or if you've made these vows. They're like, I do commit to you. I'm making a covenant before God, a promise to you before God that no matter what happens, if you get sick, if you die, I mean, if you're in sickness and health, if you lose all your money and poorness, all these things, you say, I take you. Independent of what goes on in your world, I'm with you till death do us part. And they return that vow. But really that vow, that covenant is independent of the person you're making it to. It says no matter what you do, I'm with you till we die. You know what happens in this day and age? I'm with you until, uh, until I fall out of love with you. I'm with you until I find someone else. I'm with you until you change. I'm with you until I change. You know, that's what we're saying. We're saying this covenant that's designed to be for the rest of your life uh, unless something else happens. 
But the reason I think it grieves God's heart so much is because God is not like that. Could you imagine if God said, when you say I do to him, um, you know, the story as it relates to him is the pursuit. He's been pursuing each one of you for your entire life. As a matter of fact, he's pursued you before you were even born because that's when he took the cross. But there's the pursuit, and eventually the pursuit of God led to Jesus not taking a knee, not offering a precious ring. He took the cross and he offered his precious blood. And he put the ball in your court and my court and said, Hey, I love you. I want to be with you for, not the rest of your life, but for eternity. What do you have to say? He puts the response in your court. And when you become a Christian, it's in essence, it's a way of saying, I do, to Jesus Christ. It's saying, I do. I do believe that I've sinned and I want to turn from that and turn to you. I do believe you died on the cross because you love me so much. I do want to receive you uh, into my life right here and now. And for eternity. And it's really a lot about saying I do. But you see, God doesn't, once you make that, you say I do to Jesus Christ. What if you're having a bad day? What if you're having a bad week, a bad year? You know, God could say, ha, that was a good relationship. We're done. You change, you're sinning, you're screwing things up. I'm out of here. God doesn't do that. You know what he says? He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. It even says when uh, we are faithless, he still has faith. He doesn't change. He doesn't uh, go back on his promise. And so when divorces are supposed to reflect God's unfailing love and they break apart one out of two, one eight hundred divorce, it grieves the heart of God. And I hope you catch that too, that it would grieve you. And so we just need to be aware. The other thing I want you to know is that God loves each and every one of you. You know, this first thing about marriage we talked about, not being sexually immoral, not having sex before marriage, not having sex outside of your marriage, not having even a a thing that's broken even further than that. God says the natural progression of this type of sin is that it will progress to perversion, where that that sexual sin is expressed in an even more broken way than the other ones. And you know what? If you've done any of those... And I'll tell you, when I went through college, I did not honor marriage. I did not honor God. I was sexually immoral. And, um, and you know what, though? I came to hear that God loves me and has been pursuing me. And He took the cross and He proposed to me. And finally, after 24 years, I said, I do to Jesus Christ. And it's, it's been awesome. But He, he says uh, that He would forgive us from all our sins. When we say, I do to Him, it's saying, I do to His love and His forgiveness. And if you've done any of those, I just want you to know God is willing to forgive you and say, uh, you know, and offer that same loving relationship to you regardless of what you've been to. And sometimes it's even more precious, the, the worst stuff you've been through. And He says, I'll, I'll take you for eternity. And that's the love of God. And that's what marriage is designed to reflect. And, um, and God hates divorce because it doesn't reflect Him accurately. We need to catch that, men and women. Um, Let's see here. Keep scooting along. The next one is um, embrace your God-given roles. And, um, you know, this is, a, this is another one that's extremely unpopular. When Tom Short was preaching on campus, I think one of the subjects that stuck around the longest was they were talking about roles in marriage and submission. How dare you make a woman have to submit to her husband? How unfair, how, you know, and these people were just mad about that. But, but I, think, um, I think people sometimes miss uh, what is going on there. In some ways they don't miss it. The heart of it is sometimes people just don't want God telling them what to do. He assigns me to do this, well, I want to do that. He assigns me to do that, well, I want to do this. You know, there's just a little bit of rebellion in there, and uh, that's, that's the heart of the problem. But when it comes to these roles, embrace 
the God-given roles here is one that's often un- unpopular. It's the woman's assignment. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Okay, that, that seems mean. That seems unfair. That seems making a wife submit. And then the husband, husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. But these are your God-given roles. And for your marriage to not only survive with the Christ-like commitment, but to thrive, this is God says, here's how I want your marriage to thrive. Right here. Take hold of these. Embrace them. Live them out. And probably uh, differently than you would think, you're going to be blessed. Your relationship will thrive. And I like to just share the idea of this is... Um, with submission and things like that, people can just get bent out of shape. You know, they don't even listen past that. Here you go, roles. You got all the stereotypes that flood your mind of the oppression for women and all this stuff. I'd like to encourage you just to think, start thinking about it a little differently. Um, the idea I like to use is analogies related to a dancing. Just to uh, when you're involved in dancing, like whether say swing dancing or ballroom dancing. How many of you have ever taken dancing lessons before? And it, yeah, awesome. Um, I've done a few with Morgan. We did some swing lessons, and there's just something about it. You have these assignments when you dance that nobody gets offended by. They get all the guys over here and say, "Guys, you're supposed to lead the dance, all right? You got to like stay on beat. You got to be like leading. You got to be, you know, all these things." And then they tell the, the women, hey, "You got to follow this guy. He may be a schmuck. He may be a terrible dancer, but you got to follow him." And you know, there's something when we danced a few times in the past that took lessons. Something I just loved, you know, the instructor telling my wife, you got to follow him. You know, don't, don't lead him, follow him. I'm like, yeah. And then, you know, they'd be, they'd be telling me, like, you got to, like, do the right moves. you got to, like, stay in step. And I'm like, ah, oh, you know, my wife is like, yeah. You know, so there's, uh, there's something about it, though. But um, there's these assignments. And nobody complains when you show up at a, a dance theater and they're teaching you ballroom dance or, uh, you know, swing dance. You're like, um, I want to lead. You know, some woman says, you know, I'm, I'm taking feminist classes. I want to lead. Well, they say, sorry, you're not going to lead this dance. It's not your assignment. That's, that's for the guy, you know. And uh, usually people don't come in there saying, I want to lead. Most people show up and go, okay, what do I do? You tell me and I'll do it. And um, people don't usually complain with their assignments in dancing. Why is it such a huge deal when it comes to marriage? And I just want to encourage us to try to at least start thinking about it uh, in this way of, hey, we didn't make up the dance. We didn't make up the assignments. God did. And God said, hey, hey, dude, this is your job to lead and to lay down your life as you lead this woman in the dance. And he tells the woman, hey, your job is to follow this guy. Help make the dance successful. Some of the other phrases that Jesus here in Ephesians 5, it goes on to say that, um, you know, really the wife is to be presented, um, you know, radiant and holy and blameless. And there's something about when you dance a ballroom dance that a, that a, a man, if he's doing it well, his really thing that he's doing is he's putting the other on display. You know, he's doing these moves and he's spinning her and throwing her in the air and stuff, but it's really not about him except for serving this person and putting her on display. And that's what it said that uh, Christ does for his bride, a husband is to do for his wife. Um, and then a wife, you know, it talks about things like submission, but another word to view that through is just respect, um, respectfully responding to the leadership of your husband. And, you know, he says, let's go this way, let's spin this way, let's spin this way, and, and it works out pretty good. And if he said, you know, if we're spinning this way, then, um, you know, it, it works out good. And the dance is designed to be this close thing. The word he uses there is oneness, that when you're dancing so well together, it's just like one, two become one, one dance. It's designed to be glorious. 
designed to be awesome. You know, the, the thing I'd like to share a quick uh, few thoughts on how we go about dancing. I um, shared some of these at the marriage conference here, but um, sometimes our, the way we try to dance is not by our assignments. We try to do other dancing. One of them you guys might be familiar with is uh, break dancing, right? Any of you do any break dancing at all? <laughs> I think Greg Miller's our resident break dancer. Um, out in the Omaha church, they have a number of guys that break dance. You know, whenever they used to show up at some fellowship event, they'd always be hauling this piece of cardboard with them to throw on the floor and start spinning and, and doing things. But break dancing, though, you know, it's a form of dancing. But the way it works is that there's one of you, you know, and one person gets out in the middle of the circle and with their cardboard or whatever, they start doing their moves and they start spinning around and doing all the slips and everyone's clapping and cheering. But it's all about that one. You know, and that's not the type of dance that brings glory to God. Sometimes marriages, I think of them as a mutual breakdancing. You know, it's kind of like, well, you take your turn to breakdance and do what you like, do your moves, and we'll get around, and maybe a circle of your coworkers, a circle of other people get around and clap for you, and then, well, then it's my turn to breakdance. Everyone's got to get around me, and maybe it's a circle of different people that give me attention and uh, the love, you know, and stuff that from that from that uh, dancing, breakdancing, and that's not how God designed it. It's not mutual breakdancing. You do your thing, and we'll clap, and someone else does their thing, and we'll clap. No, God, God has designed it to be different than that. Um, another thing that happens is like line dancing. How many of you have ever done line dancing before? Yeah, that's good. Huh? Too bad for you. Um, uh, no, I'm just joking. I, I've got a good friend that he and his wife dance, and they're great like country western dancers. And I asked him up at the marriage conference, I'm like, so you guys line dance? And he looked at me. He used to line dance a lot. He said, line dancing is for single people. I, I want to hold my wife close to me when I dance, you know. And so, uh, but something about line dancing is... Uh, Something that shows up in marriage. I had a couple come up to me after sharing this idea, and they say, we figured out, we line dance in our marriage. You know what it is? is everyone gets up here, men and women alike, and, you know, we have equal value. You know, the Bible's real clear. Whether you're a husband or wife, you've got equal value in God's eyes. But uh, a line dance, not only do you have equal value, you do the same moves. It's kind of like you all got the same assignments. You know, you do your whatever you do. I don't know how to line dance, but it's kind of like everyone lines up together, equal value, and we got the same dance. And as a woman, I don't feel bad because that guy's doing the same dance as me. I might even be doing it better, you know. And um, But people approach marriage like that. Supposed to be 50-50, I want the same assignment, you lead half the time, I'll lead the other half of the time. You know, um, it's like the joke you hear sometimes about the husband and wife that figured out an arrangement to where um, the husband would make all the major decisions and the wife would make all, you know, all the other ones. And they asked the, the husband, well, how's it going? Ah, you know, it's going great. Um, we haven't got to a major decision yet, you know. And so, um, sometimes it, it can be like that. But a line dance, you know, God didn't just say, hey, this is 50%, you know, you lead, 50% you follow, 50%. You know, he didn't assign it like that. He gave a role of leadership and a role of support and following and helping. And um, the other way it can, can look that, uh, that I, I reckon it too is kind of like a dance. Uh, how many of you know the Cotton Eye Joe? Anyone know the Cotton Eye Joe? You know, that's how it goes if you don't know. Huh? But, uh, but it's kind of this. Uh, it's kind of 
the song where you skip around and you skip backwards and occasionally you say, Bologna, um, you know, this little... But uh, I remember once I was at a bar. I was not on the road less traveled. Um, I was not following Christ at the time. But I remember dancing with this girl. And something, I, I don't know if it was a Cotton Eye Joe or some, you know, techno-modified version of it or something. But basically, you know, I was dancing with her and she said, here's the deal. All right, we're going to do this dance. I think her ex-boyfriend was in the, the bar somewhere, the club, and uh, she wanted to kind of, you know, I don't get under his skin, and I think he was bigger than me, so I was not excited about this, but uh, but anyways, um, we get out there, and she's like, here's the deal, I'm going to do everything here, you just kind of do the scoop de doo thing, the Cotton Eye Joe thing, and, uh, and I'll do everything else, and so I did it, you know, I got there, and I'm scoop to doing the line, I just got to keep my hands over her head, and she's like... Uh, spinning and doing flips and all these crazy things. She's not flipping, but she was spinning and doing all these all these cool moves. And, um, you know, to the, to the naked eye, like my friends who didn't know anything about dancing, they were like, wow, that was cool. That was awesome, you know. And to anyone who knew anything about country dancing, they're like, dude, that guy had no clue. And that girl was putting herself on display. She was presenting herself and she needed somebody else to help. And that guy just didn't have a clue, and it didn't look like he cared, you know. Um, but sometimes marriages can be like that, and people can think, you know, people who don't know any better, they look at that and they go, hey, that looks, that looks pretty cool. And as someone who knows anything about a glorious, God-given, heavenly dance of a marriage, they look at that and they go, oh, oh, I feel bad for them. I feel bad for the, the guy that's just scooped to doing along. You know, it's kind of like maybe in his, his marriage he's got the man toys and things that, you know, satisfy him and he'll be glad to scoop to do along whatever else he needs to. And, and this woman's like, hey, I think I can lead better than this guy. So look, here's what you should do. Pretend like you're leading, but put me on display. And uh, I just, that's not how it's designed to operate, men and women. And unfortunately, some marriages that do stay together, it's not glorious, it's not thriving, it's just kind of sad. It's just kind of embarrassing. And that's not the type of marriages that we want to see you have. That's not the type of marriages God has given us as an association of churches here. So, um... We'll shoot to the, the last thing. And through your dancing, you have the ability to show love to your spouse. But when you, you do your moves, they can be loving and Christ-like and considerate and tender. Man, that's kind of your assignment. A lot of the words you've been given are understanding, gentle. That's how you're supposed to lead. And, and a wife has the ability to communicate love through things, especially like respect. You're respectfully following. You're trying to make uh, this guy successful. Even if he gets a step wrong occasionally, you want to make him uh, feel loved and respected. And that's how it's designed to be. And there's a way to show love through your assignments. And sometimes people are like, this is just wrong. It's just depression. I don't get it. If you get it, there's a way you can be so loving to your spouse. There's a way you can show love to your spouse in a way that no one else on this planet can. And that's what God wants for your marriage. And you show love to others. But through this relationship, you serve others. And you're a blessing to others. And through your relationship, you show the love of Christ to those who aren't on the road less traveled. Those who are still trying to figure it out, they go, Wow, that's a strange thing. I've not seen a relationship like that. And it might help to share the gospel. And you can also show love to God by the way you carry out your assignments. Because God, you know, Jesus said, Hey, look, if you love me, Obey, obey me. Do the things I'm telling you to do. There's a way to show love to God by how you dance in your marriage. And we just want to make sure you all catch that here. Um, I'm just going to close on this last one here. Uh, show love of Christ through your dance. The last thing we got to remember is that you got to carry out your God-given mission. Just because you're on a mission... Um, 
just because you get married, it's not like the mission has changed. And, and just to wrap up quickly here, there's uh, two things we need to think about here. One is when you get married, what can happen? The easy thing to happen is that you take this one person who loves this other person, finally they get married, finally they get to be together all the time and do whatever they want, and all of a sudden you, you realize their mission kind of looks like that, being together all the time, doing whatever they want. It's very self-absorbed. And that's not, you know, a dance is not just to be about, let's dance the rest of our lives. A dance is to be on a mission. And God has given us a mission to reach those who don't know Christ and tell them the good news um, about His love and His forgiveness and uh, full life now and eternal life. But we need, you need to be careful. And as a single person, if you're really into being self-absorbed and that shows up on the scene of marriage, you know, we do marriage counseling. We'd be glad to help you out there. That's not a... that's. That's kind of a, a bummer of a thing. You get someone who's self-absorbed, and maybe they marry someone else who's self-absorbed, and they try to have oneness in the dance. And you know, I just encourage you to to be watching out for that independence and um, and stuff now, even as a single person. Or if you are married, and you go, "Hey, we're self-absorbed. Maybe we should break out of the box there, you know, and, and think about being back on the mission." You got to work together. You know, sometimes it's easy to think. Success and being married is like taking one person's life and the results of that and the other person's life and you just add them up and that's your success. But really the whole game changes in marriage and it's about them. It's kind of like uh, a three-legged race, you know? And you, you, you tie the knot with this person and you're now with them for the rest of your life for better or for worse, you know? And if, if your walk's going great and you're running and maybe your spouse is like dragging and working through some hard things um, and you're tied together... Well, you're really the measure of it is, where are you at together? You might think, I'm doing great, I'm running, I'm excited in the Lord, and my wife is, is having a really hard time. Well, the measure of your dance, your, your oneness is, uh, how's it going together with your, your legs tied together, working together? And it's not about the two individuals adding up the results and making one. And so we've got to watch out for that. That's a common misconception there. So uh, anyway, just to close, uh, I just asked him, maybe Jeff to share just a little um, from his marriage. There's a number of marriages in here that I think are great examples. But I just asked Jeff uh, to share some of his marriage, you know, some of the slice of life from he and Grace, because I think they have just been exemplary in, in being a marriage that's, that's on a mission and carrying out these other things here. So if you guys give me your attention for a second. All right. A couple quick thoughts for you guys, um, a couple things from our lives. But I really like Rich's thought he shared there about the, the being self-absorbed. I think that's one of the biggest things I've seen couples get taken out of the game, getting taken out because they make their mission to be their marriage, which is it's, it's wrong. It's bad. It's so easy to fall into, though. You go, hey, I'm married now. I've got this wonderful wife. I've got my wife, Grace. We could just really work on our marriage and have this best marriage ever. But if that's all we're doing with our marriage is really working on our relationship with each other, we're in trouble. Where Our mission has to be um, God's mission. It has to be what God wants us to do, and, and that's Matthew 28, 19-20. It's going out and it's reaching people through using our marriage. And like Grace said, you can have the two of you, and you can just add them together. And the two of our strengths, like Grace was pretty good single. I was a decent single guy. We could be a decent couple together. But if that's all that we're able to do, it's, it's not going to accomplish much. Like, God can do so much more when he brings two people together, and he can, he can accomplish tons of stuff. And he, if we make that commitment, our commitment has to be there, though. 
So the rich said there's a commitment of marriage, but I think there's a commitment inside your marriage that you say, hey, we're committed to following out the, the Great Commission. We're committed as a couple. We're going to do whatever it takes. Um, some of those things that, that practically lay out, Grace and I try to always just challenge each other, period. Like we're always challenging each other. We're sharing our quiet time thoughts. We're sharing verses with each other. We're helping each other. We're talking about situations at work that have happened that we're frustrated with or different things. We're challenging each other to seek God, to really trust God with these different situations. Um, another one, we spur each other on all the time, like we're trying to encourage each other. Just like Rich said, this, it's not going to be where you're always on highs, you're both doing great. There's going to be times where I'm down, I'm having a rough week, things are bad at work, or Grace is having a rough week with Caleb at home, or different things going on, and so we just have to spur each other on. We have to encourage each other and challenge each other to step up to the plate there. Um, another way that I think is huge when you get married that's different when you're single is you can serve in a way that you weren't able to serve as a single. Um, especially as guys, I don't know how many of you guys are wonderful cooks. Probably not many of you. <laughs> so it becomes a wonderful thing when you have a wife and you guys can work together to make meals for someone. Like last night, we had a bunch, we had several of the guys over. And we just hung out and we fed them dinner. And we hung out and we talked and we shared life with each other and we played games together. We do that. Grace and I try and do that. We try and do it every other week, for sure, at the minimum. We try and every two weeks we have someone over or we go and hang out with somebody or we do something like that. Or we can just share our life with them. We can encourage them. We can um, hopefully make them smile, hopefully feed them some good food. I know a couple of those guys left last night. They could barely walk out the door. I think they, they hadn't had good food like that in a while, so they were, they were pretty full when they left. But it's good, and it's fun, and we enjoy doing it. And I think it's something that you need to do as a couple. Um, there's another couple that Grace, had, we decided that um, with just her being at home with one kid, that we had some extra time. She had some extra time to be able to do some work. And so she, we decided, hey, well, what if, what if we go out in the neighborhood here and we see if, we can, if you can nanny for someone? And she ended, we ended up finding this couple, and we, she's nannying for their kids for the last bunch of months. We just ended on Friday was her last day nannying for them, but it's been a great opportunity. We've been able to really speak into this couple's life. We've been able to share truth with them. We've gone to their house. We've had dinner with them. We've just been able to talk about the gospel a lot with them, and it's been really good. He's actually come, uh, Seth came with his daughter a couple times to church, and hopefully they'll come back more. They say they're going to, but it's just a great way to get those other opportunities, if you can think of it. I know um, the Mommy's Morning and things like that, and some of the moms on the Highland Mommy's news page, and just being able to talk to some of those different women and drama, it's great. It's great opportunities, and and you can do that when you're married, and you you need to do that. You need to be seeking those things. You've got to make sure that you don't just get so focused on your marriage that you forget about the Great Commission. I, I say it again, but that's one of the biggest mistakes I've seen people make. They get in it, and they forget about that, hey, there's other people out there. Hey, I need to hang out with the singles in the church. Hey, I need to know these guys. I need to share truth with them. I need to encourage them. They get so focused, and they say, hey, I need to have this time for my marriage. I don't have time for this. We're going to go home. And, and honestly, if you think about it, when you're married, you live with each other, by the way. <laughs> you're with each other all the time, besides when you're at work. So at night, you get in bed, you're in the morning, you're together, you eat breakfast, you eat meals together. There's plenty of time together. You can definitely find some hours in your week to get out and share that with other people. And I think that's the biggest thing you can do if you, you want to be on that road less traveled as a, as a married couple, is really serving those other people. So those are my thoughts there. That's great. I think uh, Jeff and Grace have been a great example. Obviously, they, they've had Caleb here for a while, a number of months, and they've got another one on the way, but they still have been as a couple just working together, working to serve others, uh, working to reach the lost through their marriage and, and even with um, kids there. And so, um, anyways, I'm just going to recap here. We're going to pray, and we'll get on our way. But um, the road less traveled, four essentials to the road less traveled in marriage. The first one, marriage should be honored by all. All means all. All includes singles, married people, 
and everybody else. Uh, number two essential thing is to protect your marriage with Christ-like commitment. Number three, embrace your dance partner. Embrace your God-given roles was number three. You embrace them and, uh, and think of it like a dance that, that you can show love to, to God and to your spouse, to others, and, and to the lost. And, and the last one, just carry out your God-given mission. Remember, you're to be a marriage on a mission. And let's go ahead and, and pray here. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this truth. Lord God, we thank you for uh, uh, just allowing us to, to catch it, to think freshly on it, maybe even think on it for the first time. And Lord, I pray that you would make us all, men and women, regardless of what phase of life, men and women who honor marriage in this world that is broken and perverted, Lord, and wants to dishonor marriage. And God, I do pray that you protect all the marriages that currently exist and those, the one, those that, um, that are yet to be, Lord, that you would help them be protected with Christ-like commitment, not even till death do its part, but even beyond death that um, we could just model that, Lord, with your help and your love. And, Lord, I I do pray that um, you would help everyone to understand the roles. Lord, you thought them up, not me, not some mean guy, not some, you know, someone else, Lord, but you thought them up and you gave us assignments to obey you with, to trust you with, and even more than that, to show love through. I just pray there would be some glorious dances that would come from this church family, Lord God. And also just pray that you'd help us to be on a mission, Lord, whether married or uh, uh, single or or with kids, Lord God, that that everyone would remember we've been given a mission to do until you come back. We need to tell people about your unfailing love, the covenant, the the proposal that you've made to people, um, Lord God, until you return, until it's then too late. But help us to all be on a mission for your glory. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.